Um, I don't know how many of you guys, or maybe you, maybe the wives have had to say it to their husband. I'm not saying this has happened at my house, but maybe it has. Just, will you just get up and do something? <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> some of y'all have, I guess. And um, maybe, maybe you're watching too much football or whatever it may be. Um, you know, that's kind of the call that God has on us sometimes. It's just we got to get up and do something. We got to make the effort to do things, right? Um, and there's a lot that the Lord calls on us to get up and do. If you remember last week, he came to his disciples. We could say Peter or Matthew was a good example that we looked at. And he said, follow me. And they had to arise and get up and follow him. And in following him, there were things they had to do. They, they would start praying and reading their Bible and loving others. You know, he'd teach them that you need to love others, attending the worship service, having a good work ethic, a good attitude that we talked about in the prayer request. Those are all things we have to do. We expend energy to do those things. And Jesus says unto us, we need to arise and do those. You know, he instructed his disciples in the 13th chapter of John. Part of it was about foot washing. And he said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Y'all remember that? And so the, the happiness, the blessing in following the Lord is not just in knowing what to do. How many of us know things to do, but we don't do them, and then we don't get the blessing from it, right? And so he was saying to them, the, the blessing in following me is not just in, in a head knowledge of knowing what to do, uh, but you will find happiness in actually doing those things. Um, you know, we impact our lives in a big way by the choices we make to do or not to do things, to go or not to go places uh, that Jesus has told us to do. And, and in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, I want to read this to you. It says, If you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. This is what uh, God through the prophet Isaiah is speaking to Israel. He says, If you be willing and obedient. Basically, he's saying, if you, if you will do what I tell you to do, you'll eat of the good of the land. But he says, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Uh, this, this is kind of a theme that carries over through the Bible, that if we will be willing and obedient to do the things that God calls us to do, uh, we, there will be blessings that follow it through that. And I tried to preach for several weeks about following the way that, that God has set up. And that's kind of it. If we just follow the way that he's prescribed for us to follow in life, good things will follow. But not only that, not only does it impact us, the things that we choose to do or not to do have a great impact on the people around us. See, you don't only affect yourself. You affect others around you. Um. Listen to this. This is, this is from Hebrews chapter 10. It's in verse 24 and 25. It says, let us consider one another. Do y'all consider one another? Consider what your actions do to one another, the impact they have on one another. The, the writer of Hebrews, the Spirit is, is, is speaking this to us through the Apostle Paul. He says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now there's something you can do as a church family you can, you can send a text message to encourage somebody, a phone call, a visit, a kind word here at church, whatever it may be, um, some, some encouragement uh, to love and to good works, to do good. And then it says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of, your, of ourselves together. And that word forsaking, see, that, that doesn't mean missing a Sunday. 
You know, I've heard preachers preach on that. Like if you miss a Sunday, it's the it's it's one of the it's one of those unforgivable sins, right? Now I'm not preaching you ought to miss church. But that's not what this verse is talking about. That's talking about a total abandonment of the faith and the people that you've covenanted with to be a part of. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, when, when people come in, let's say they come into our fellowship and they just desert the church, that hurts us. I don't know if it hurts you, but it hurts. I know as the preacher, you think, what did I do wrong? <laughs> Uh, you second guess yourself and and it brings a lot of that's just one example of how your actions or your inability to act or whatever it may be not to do what you say to do it affects many many people and so when God tells us to arise and go do things when God says this is what you should be doing not only is that blessing if we're willing and obedient not only will we eat of the good of the lamb that's a figure of speech to say things will be well with us but it also will be either well with those around us, or if we don't do what God says to do, we bring pain and suffering not only on ourselves, but those around us. Does that make sense this morning? We're impacting the people around us. So I want to look at three responses that we can have. When God says, arise and go, or, or get up and do this, or maybe like, like, will you just get up and do something? Here's, here's what we can say. We can, a lot of times we just say no. Y'all ever done that? You just say, no, I'm not going to do that. Maybe you don't just blatantly say it to God, but there are actions we just don't do what we do. Uh, or we just don't do what we're supposed to do. Uh, another example is just to, to linger or delay or kind of, um, you know, the Bible says, how long will you halt you between two opinions? Are we really going to do what God says or are we going to do what I want to do? And then the third option is just to do it. And so I want to look at how that will affect those around us and ourselves. And to start by that, let's look at the, the book of Jonah. Uh, from the Old Testament. Of course, this is a great example of not doing what God says to do. When God says to arise and go, uh, Jonah certainly said no. That was his response to God. Not only that, he ran away from what God told him to do. And so in verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amadiah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. And certainly that would be, Nineveh was, a, was, a, was an enemy of his home country. Nineveh was a, a wicked place. That would be a tough task to do. But God is calling Jonah to do what he had called prophets to do, to go cry against this city, to go uh, proclaim the, the, the word of the Lord. And it says in verse 3, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So God has said, this is what I want you to do. But Jonah has said to God, no, I'm not going to do it. Matter of fact, I'm going to run from my obligation to do what you've told me to do. And it, and it continues there and it says, so, so he found this ship that was going to Tarshish and he says he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. How many of you have known that God is telling you to do something and, and you know you're saying no? And so what we do in our sinful ways to try to hide what we're doing is we try to run from the presence of the Lord. What, what did Adam and Eve do after they transgressed the one law that he had given them? They tried to run from the presence of the Lord. 
How many of us do that? We 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 just we just run instead of running to God, we run away from God. And it says he paid the fare thereof. I'm reminded of that statement that when 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 we sin, and this is certainly true, that it'll cost us more than we ever wanted to pay, and it'll take us further than we ever wanted to go when we go down these sinful paths that we desire in this life. And certainly Jonah was an example of that. So he pays the fare, but that's not all he was going to pay in this lesson. It says, but the Lord, after he had run from the presence of the Lord, um, the Lord is still pursuing him. It says, the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship, but into the sea or into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. I believe Jonah was comfortable in saying no to the Lord. And, you know, I think the, the more and more we do say no, the more and more comfortable we become with saying no to what God says to do. Amen. And it says, so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, Why meanest, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that thy God will think upon us that we perish not. Now do you see that other people are being impacted by Jonah's decision when, when God says arise and go, and he says no, it's not just affecting Jonah. It's certainly going to impact Jonah, but others around him are being impacted by what he did. And they said, uh, in verse 7, it says, And they said everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou, and what is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said, Now listen to what Jonah, who is a prophet, who is running from the Lord, who has said no. Not only did he say no, he's running from the presence of the Lord. He says unto them, I am a Hebrew. And, and, and there's probably some, some, some pride in that. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the, man, the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And that, that brings a question that I, that I have to ask myself. How many times do I proclaim to the world around me, I am a Christian and I fear the Lord. But by my actions, they can see you really don't fear God. Y'all see that? They knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And if, and if we're to do what we're supposed to do, and if we are really the Christian people we claim to be and we fear the Lord, um, we should never be running from His presence. We should always be trying to run to Him. And I mentioned this yesterday at Liberty, and that I won't get there, but when we, when we run from the presence of the Lord, that is showing a lack of faith and belief in Jesus Christ in our life. Because Jesus has broken down the barrier between us and God that we can always run to God through Him. But here is Jonah who's running from the presence of the Lord. And they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea were all and was tempestuous, tempestuous, sorry. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. 
How many people through their actions or their inability to do what God says to do have brought, brought great storms and troubles upon their family, upon their church, upon their friends, maybe upon their business? And, he, and Jonah fesses up. He says, I know all this is because I'm not doing what God told me to do. He says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and, the, and it was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us the innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, has done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceased from her raging. And it's kind of amazing there that those people who were, who were crying out to their little G-gods are showing more fear than maybe Jonah did <laughs> uh, when he said he feared the Lord. Here are people that are showing that they actually do fear this God. And they take Jonah and they cast him into the sea. And it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. And verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In verse, chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. This is the point I want to get. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. The Lord had told Jonah, you need to arise and go. And he had said no, and he ran from the presence of the Lord. The Lord was so gracious in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a real sense that he went out and found Jonah. <laughs> but it wasn't a pleasant experience. For, how many of y'all want to get where God tells you to go through the belly of a whale? <laughs> I doubt it's like the kid's book where he's eating fish with the lamp and all that in the belly of the whale. It was pretty gross, I'm imagining. And he cries out and he says that he cries out from the belly of hell. He was, on, he was in a literal hell on this earth. And there are countless untold multitudes of people that are experiencing a hell on this earth. Now they will never experience an eternal hell because they've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but because of their actions and their inability to do what God says to do, when God says arise and go do this, they say no and they run from God and the end thereof is a literal hell on earth. That's what Jonah got from saying. So, so not only did it affect Jonah, it affected those around him and he ended up in the belly of hell. Now here's another one. This is probably the one, <clears throat> at least for me, maybe for you, uh, that we end up in a lot of times and that's just kind of... Uh, Debating with God or, um, uh, you know, talk, trying to talk it through with God or lingering with, around with God or delaying what we say to do or hesitating. And so to look at that, I want to look at um, Genesis chapter 19, probably a chapter that you're all familiar with. Um, and it is Lot in Sodom. You know, Lot had, had made his home in Sodom, which was a wicked place. And it says there were two angels in verse 1 that came to Sodom. And Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. And, and Lot was a, apparently he was an influential man now in this, in this society. And he says, he's seeing them, he rose up to meet them and he bowed himself to the face towards the ground. And he said, behold now, my Lord, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and you shall rise up early 
and go on your ways. And they said, nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. And then Lot presses on them to bring them into the house. And he, he bakes them dinner. And certainly there's a mob of people who come uh, unto, unto these men. And Lot, and, and, and Lot, he just makes some bad decisions. Lot's a great example. If you just want to see how far sin will really take you, look at the life of Lot and how far bad decisions will take you. Um, and they, and, and in verse 9, it says, he, he says, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came to sojourn. This man, Lot, who was sitting at the gate in a place of authority, he, he is fighting for these men, fighting for what's right in a, in a meek way. And it says, uh, this fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. And they, they, it'll show you how the world will turn on you very quick if you start to stand up, even in a meek way, for Jesus Christ. And so these angels put their hand forward and they, they smite, uh, they close the door and they smite this mob with blindness. <clears throat> and in, let's go to verse 15. So these angels have come and it says, when the morning arose, the angels, now they're there to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They've already, we've, they've already told Abraham had, had, had petitioned with God and he got down to, if you can find 10 righteous people, will you not do it? And God said, I will, but uh, he couldn't find them. And, and so the men, uh, well, let's, let's go to verse 12. It says, the men said unto Lot, hast thou any here besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whomsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now these angels have come to Lot after they've come to Abraham and they're telling him what they're going to do. We're about to destroy this city because of the wickedness that is in it. And so Lot, he goes out and he speaks to his son-in-laws, uh, which married his daughters and said, up, get you out of this place. You know, last week we tried to talk about influence and how we can be influenced by others, but how we influence others. Well, here's Lot that goes to his son-in-laws. He says, get up, let's get out of this place for the Lord is going to destroy this place. And it says, but he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Lot is a good example to us that by the way we live and the things we do, we can ruin the influence we have on those that are around us, right? They didn't even listen to Lot. And it says, and when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. <clears throat> so these angels are saying to Lot, Okay, if your sons-in-law won't go, get your wife, get your girls, and get out of here because we're about to destroy this city. What are they saying to him? It's, they're saying, Arise and go now. Bad things are about to happen. And here it is in verse 16, it says, and while he lingered, while he hesitated, while he delayed, while he debated about what he was going to do, how many of us get in that? Well, should I, should I join the church? And we debate on that for years and years and years, right? We're lingering. Listen to what it says. While he lingered, the men, these angels, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. And I just want to stop and praise God for that because how many times have us in this room lingered and debated and bargained with God and he just 
by his mercy and grace, let us out. You know, very few of us can say, none of us can say, through my great decisions and my great wisdom, I am where I am. Can we? It's because the Lord, listen to what David said. He said, he restoreth my soul. He lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It is the Lord that leads us along. It is his mercy. It is him that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Any good decision that we've ever made. And look, we do, we do, our decisions impact our life and we do have some free will to do that. But it is God that helps us along the way. Do we understand that? And so God was merciful to them. And it says, and it came to pass, verse 17, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, escape for thy life. Now this is just, you know, it kind of blows our mind that he didn't just run, right? But this is how stubborn that you and I can get when we're in the wrong place that we should be. He said, they say, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest thou be consumed. I, I truly believe that if two angels came to me today and said that the Lord's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, you need to get in your car and drive to wherever it may be, I'd say, bye, y'all. <laughs> I think, and I don't know that I would, uh, but, but they're saying escape. I don't think I would turn around to them. Lot says unto them, oh no, not so, my Lord. <laughs> They've already drug him out by his hand because he was too stubborn to go out and do what the Lord said to go or, and do what the Lord said to do. And he says, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me by saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. Look how faithless we can become in God. God has literally sent two angels to this man. They told him to leave. He wouldn't leave. So they grab him by the hand and lead him out. They tell him where to go. And he says, no, I can't go where you're telling me to go. I'll die from some beast. Now God's protecting you from his own wrath inside him. He can protect you from any beast in the mountain, right? He says, go to the mountain. But Lot, Lot had this idea from this. The whole problem that got Lot in trouble from the first place is he looks at the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted, the, he wanted the big life and the big city and the big excitement. And he says, I don't want to go to the mountain. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that the, the place that the world says is nothing is where the excitement really is in life. The church of the Lord Jesus, to the world, the church is nothing. But that's where peace and hope and happiness and joy all spring from is the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not going to do it. He says, evil will take me. Behold, now this city is near to flee to. He says, I'm not running to those mountains too far away. Here's a place pretty close. Let me just go there. He says, it's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, see, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither. So they say, Go. Go to this city that you want to go. Don't go where we told you, for I cannot do anything till thou come thither. Therefore, the name of that place was called Zoar. It says, And the sun was risen upon the earth, and Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city and that which, were, and, and that which grew upon the ground. Now he had told them, he said, you need to escape and don't even look back. And it says, but his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. 
And if you go on and read the rest of that story, there's a, there's a lot of wickedness in that story. Um, and I just have to ask myself, if Lot would have just fled when the Lord told him to fled, when the Lord told him to flee, his wife might have still been there. They might have had a good influence on his daughters. His whole family might have turned out a lot different if he would have just, when God said, arise and go, if he would have just said, okay. Look how his life would have turned out. But because he said no and he lingered, and he just kept, even, even, even God who is so merciful to him. And how many of us can, can, can experience this in our life? We just take God's mercy and his grace for granted and we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And you know, eventually, sometimes God just says, okay, you can have what you want. I believe that's what happened in our country today. We have pushed God and pushed God and pushed God and pushed God and pushed God. And we've said, you know, Life is not sacred. I mean, I've heard it said that if God doesn't destroy America, He'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we continue as a society, I'm not saying us, but as a society, we continue to spit in His face. Would it surprise any of us that He said, okay, if that's what you want, here it is. But, but, the, but the point here is that Lot, he could have gone. He could have, he could have got up and gone. And, and those around him, his wife wouldn't have been impacted. Maybe his, maybe his sons-in-law, if he'd, if he'd have come to him and said, we're going now. You know, one reason that his sons-in-law, might have, he might have seemed as one that mocked is because Lot hadn't decided that he was actually going to do what he wanted to do. People can, people can see when you're being very hypocritical, right? Brother Mark just stole my point there. He said, children especially. They are just like little hypocrite detectors. <laughs> I could give y'all all kinds of stories <laughs> in my own life. Most of the other day, how come you can eat all the sweets you want? <laughs> I said, well, I shouldn't, buddy. We'll go get you a job in your own house. You can eat all the sweets you want. <laughs> but the world around us can tell if we're hypocrites. And if we act hypocritically like Jonah did, when he said he feared the Lord, but he didn't do what the Lord said, like Lot did, when he said, hey, we got to go, but he kind of wanted to linger around just a little bit longer, everybody saw that they were being hypocritical, right? That's what the world sees of us when we say, hey, I'm Christians. Hey, we need to flee. Hey, we need to run to the church. Hey, we need to seek refuge, but we don't do it ourselves. We can't expect anybody else to do it, right? So he delays. Now I want to go to Acts chapter 8 where we've been trying to look at the last few weeks. And we'll see a good example of when God says, arise and go. We say, yes, and we go. And we'll see what, how that impacts those around us. Now if you remember, the church was scattered because of a great persecution. And Philip had gone down to preach Christ under the Samaritans. And there had been many... Uh, that received his word, and there was great joy. And uh, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John came down uh, into Samaria, and, and it says in verse 25 that they preached the word of the Lord, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they preached the gospel in many villages in, in, in this, of the Samaritans. And it says this in verse 26. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, 
saying, Arise and go towards the south under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. <laughs> and so God, now, you know, I had to think about Philip. Philip had to be, th I mean, he had to think. He was a human. Now, here I am. I left and went to Samaria, and we've had a great revival, and many people are coming in. There's great joy, and the gospel's being preached. And now God's saying unto me, Arise and go into this God, there's nothing in Gaza. <laughs> now that's what we could all think, right? But what does Philip do? It says, and he arose and went. That's the answer that we need to have when God says, you need to arise and you need to go. It says, Philip arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. You know, when God, God gives us all these things, and we're using this figuratively to arise and go, and if that's to follow him or to read your Bible or to pray or to love your neighbors or, or love your wife or, or love your husband or, or raise your kids in the nurture and all these things are things that God's saying, arise and go. And we may think, what's the benefit in that? But you don't know what God has prepared for you when you make the decision to arise and go. Do you see that? He was probably thinking, what is going to be there for me? <laughs> Philip had to think that, but he went anyway, showing great faith in God, right? And it says God had, God had prepared someone to be there for Philip. And he's reading in this chariot, and it says, And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou? What thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he, desi he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. And the place of the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Now God had great blessings in store for Philip. When he said, arise and go, there was something better than was going on in Samaria, I believe. There was this man who had, because I can tell you as someone who tries to preach the gospel, if you get people who are interested in the gospel, that's an exciting thing to be around. <laughs> that's an, that's, that, that is, uh, it, it just energizes the preacher of the gospel. And so Philip begins to open, he opens his mouth and began at the same scripture in which this man was, was reading. And, and listen to this, he preached unto him Jesus. You know, that's the same message. It says in verse 5 of, of Acts chapter 8 that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And it says here that he meets this Ethiopian eunuch who's interested in the Bible, who's reading the Scripture, who had came to Jerusalem to worship. And he says he opens his mouth and began at the same Scripture and he preached unto him Jesus. And you know, that is what the church is to preach, right? Jesus there are, there, are, there are so many messages that, that, that Christianity has decided that if we, can just, if we can just incorporate this or incorporate that, or 
maybe that'll be better. What the child of God needs is more preaching about Jesus, right? More preach, and so he opens his mouth and he preaches from Jesus, and it starts from this is from Isaiah chapter fifty-three. That's where they were reading. And so he starts, I guess, at verse nine after what he had read, and this is what it says: and he made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. This is amazing that hundreds of years before our Lord Jesus Christ would come into this earth to suffer and die for you and me, the prophet Isaiah, through the Spirit of God, would say that this that this Christ, this Messiah, this Anointed One, said he would make his grave with the wicked. And certainly, they, I believe the Romans and the, and the Jews, they thought they would mock our Christ by putting Him between two malefactors, that He would be crucified with people who were, who were worthy of death. It says, but, but, and he, but with the rich in His death. And you can go read, I believe in Matthew chapter 27, about Joseph of Arimathea, who came, a rich man, who begged, the, he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and begged for the body of Jesus Christ, and, and put Him in a new tomb where no one had been laid. And here, hundreds of years before, we were hearing that this is going to happen. It says, because he has done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. See, Jesus Christ was, was crucified for nothing he had done wrong. See, there was Barabbas, who was a murderer. He had been part of the insurrection. He had murdered someone in the insurrection. He deserved to die. But our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who they traded Barabbas for, He said He had done no violence. He didn't even participate in it. Neither was there any deceit in His mouth. Listen to verse 10. This is what, this is what, this is what, the, this is what children of God need. This is what I need. This is what you need. This is what the church needs to be preaching. It says, yet, it, even though there was nothing wrong with this man, Jesus Christ, He had done nothing wrong. He was completely holy. He was completely moral. It says, yet, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Isn't that amazing? This is what that Ethiopian needed. This is what we need. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Listen to this. He shall see of the travail of his soul. He's going to see with his eyes, he could see the punishment that he was going through, the anguish he was going to go through, the pain he was going to go through. He was going to, the, the Lord himself, God was going to turn his presence from his holy child and he could see that. And it didn't, it didn't dis, dis, dissuade him from doing that or discourage him from doing that. He said he could see this, that Christ could see what was happening into him and he would be satisfied. Don't y'all like that? It would bring him satisfaction. Faction. I can tell you this: that if Jesus Christ would have suffered the travail of His soul on the Christ or on the cross, if our Christ would have gone to, if our Christ would have gone to the cross and suffered and bled and died to say, maybe there will be some people who are smart enough to figure out to follow me, that maybe they will come to me and maybe they will live with me. There would have been no satisfaction in that. But he could see that the pain that he was going through was going to bring him satisfaction because it was going to be complete and successful and secure and victorious. Do y'all see that? He said he was, he was, he could see of the travail of his soul and he would be satisfied. He says, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. And how many people through the Lord, or through the world, uh, throughout time, have come up with schemes? They have, through their knowledge, through their thought, through their wisdom, they say, if we can do this, if we can do that, if we'll do something else, uh, that's how we can get, 
uh, ourselves saved or others saved or the world saved. See, it's not through our knowledge that we're going to be saved. It was said He had the knowledge. He had the plan. He was the only one who knew what it would take to save His people. And it says, through His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. Don't y'all like that? Not a few. <laughs> it's not fun being the minority. Do y'all ever feel like you're just the minority in life? Nobody. Is there anybody else there that thinks like I do? <laughs> One day we're going to be in the majority and we're all going to be in agreement. And there'll be people out of every nation and tribe and kindred and tongue and primitive Baptist and Southern Baptist and missionary Baptist and Church of Christ and holiness preachers and all kinds of people. They'll all be primitive Baptists at that time. <laughs> we'll all just be worshiping the Lord. We won't, I don't, we'll even think about Like they're not going to, we're probably not going to have a primitive Baptist church in heaven. <laughs> He's going to justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. You know all those times that God says arise and go and we say no, or we say not yet, or we say not now, or we say what about this? That's iniquity. That's sin. And we need to do better. But I'm not saying that to you to make you feel bad. I'm going to tell you there is a, there is a righteous servant who bore the pain that you should have borne yourself for you he bore your iniquities therefore will i divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors <laughs> when we say no and we run from god yeah it should make us feel bad it should make us want to do better. But child of God, never forget that God knew exactly that you were going to do that. <laughs> he knew you were going to transgress. And He sent His Son as an intercessor to intercede on your behalf for your transgressions. And He begins to preach Jesus unto Philip. And as they went on their way, now listen, if we do what God says to do, not only Will there be blessings for us, but there will be blessings for those around us. And as they went on their way, they came unto certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And it says this eunuch, and he went on his way rejoicing. Isn't that awesome? And so maybe you've been saying... Uh, no, or maybe you've been lingering and, and saying maybe sometime. You know, we mentioned maybe you've, maybe you've said, I want to be a part of this church. Maybe you want to be baptized and you haven't done it. The answer is to arise and go. Maybe, you know, maybe you haven't been the dad you need to be, the mom you need to be, the son you need to be, the daughter you need to be, the church member you need to be, the disciple you need to be. The, the, the answer is not, well, get it all together yourself and then you can come up and, and, and get back. No, the answer is, Right now, 
Arise and go. There's a word that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians. Henceforth, it's from this time forward. That's the best time to, to start over, right? Is right now. I mean, don't try to run from God. How'd that work out from Jonah? We don't try to negotiate with God, do we? How'd that work out for Lot? The answer is, let's do it. In the book of Luke, chapter 15, we have the prodigal son. And certainly all of us, all of us can relate with the prodigal son. And he told his father, he said, I want, I want the portion that's coming to me and I want to, I want to be out of your house. And the Bible says in verse 13 that he, he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain, he desired to have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. Because of the decisions that this man had made, he was a lot like Jonah. He was a lot like Lot. He was a lot like all of us. He was, he was in a living hell on earth. Do you know what he says? In verse 17, he says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my Father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said unto the father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servant, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be Mary. See, the point of that story is if you've made the wrong decision, remember there is a Jesus who took away all the sin that you committed when you made that wrong decision so that you can arise. Isn't that beautiful, y'all? So that you can arise and go back to the Father over and over. I believe this boy would have left again. And maybe he did. I don't know. He could have still arose and come back to the Father. And he'd been waiting to greet him. I love it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings of this life. We thank you for Jesus Christ and for the, the sacrifice he made for our sins. We ask that you would help us when, when you tell us to get up and do things, that we would do those through your help and, and by your grace and mercy in our lives. But Lord, we, we, we know often we, we don't. And so we ask that you would help us to look to you as our perfect peace and righteousness.
and that that would motivate us to do the things we should do. We pray for open doors in Birmingham, Alabama, Lord, that you would, I mean, we beg of you that this gospel would go forward. And on our own, we cannot do it. And we, we pray that you would put people in our path and, and, and it would be our families, our friends, our coworkers, or people we don't even know that we could just speak of Jesus Christ and they could come in among us and rejoice as we rejoice in the successful Savior. It's in His holy name we pray. Amen. This time we'll stand, and if you would like to unite with this church through baptism, um, or if you'd like, to, if you'd like to unite with this church, we'll you could come forward, and and we would certainly be glad to have you. Um, Brother Taylor, will you lead us in number two sixty one?